Eleven years ago, I uh, came to Great Oaks, uh, moved to this community from Virginia, and uh, when I moved here, uh, you know, I was 11 years younger, of course, for one thing, but another thing was, is I was, uh, I was very, uh, I was more fit probably back then, you know, I was, came here, I'm about 6'3", I weighed about 215 back then, which is not bad for a 6'3 person. Um, I am back there now, by the way, you know, just, I didn't tell that last group, you know, but there was a long journey. Um, the thing is, is uh, right after I came here, though, the very first two weeks, um, I don't know what you guys were trying to do, but my, I thought maybe you were trying to kill me or something, because uh, I had what I was called, I had the eating tour, that's what I called it. Uh, my wife and my son were not here yet, because they were still back in Virginia, and so what I did for the first two weeks here, uh, and, and in the church back then was meeting at school, and we were like, you know, 100, 125 people, and so uh, my, my administrative assistant, what she did is she lined me up dinners every night with different people in the church. So everybody would either take me out or have me over for this giant home-cooked f- food, you know. And so I tried, I think, almost every restaurant in, uh, in, the, in the Peoria area. Uh, so that was the beginning of the process. And then not long after I'd been here, just, just a very brief time, um, what happened was uh, I discovered what used to be down the street here, Jubilee Grocery Store, had a great bakery. And I don't know if you guys, you know, like donuts or not, but man, they had homemade, you know, everyday fresh stuff, you know. And, you know, I found myself almost every day stopping, not every day, but two or three days a week, stopping down by Jubilee to get a, a, a cup of coffee and a couple of donuts or something. And usually they were like really messy ones with chocolate and all kind of stuff all over them as well, you know. And some of you are salivating thinking about it right now, you know. And, and the thing was is that, um, and so I began this process. And also coming here, I discovered things like brats and, and, and a lot, you eat a lot more pork in Illinois than I was used to. And so go to football games now, and you have all kind of stuff, you know. It was kind of crazy. And so I didn't go on, uh, think about getting on a scale for a while, but about two years after I'd been here, I, I've worked out some still, but, uh, you know, I was kind of like going through this process, and, and I decided one day to get on a scale and see. And I don't know if you've ever stepped on a scale and it moaned. <laughs> yeah, it went, you know. And, uh, but it did. And, and, and you know when that happened, you know what happened? I got mad. I got mad. I'm going like, I'm going like, man, all these people, all they do is they keep feeding me all the time. And that lady that goes to our church, she makes all these donuts over a Jubilee. I mean, it's her fault. And you know, it's, if it's not their fault, it must be the government's fault because the government, if you don't know anything else, do you blame the government because they let us have processed foods? And I went through this whole rigmarole of blaming everybody else, and then after a while of kind of venting, I'm going into my brain, I'm doing this not out loud, but in my brain I'm going like, you know, most of the pain in my life, most of the problems in my life have been brought on by me. By me. I mean, nobody forced me to eat all the food that they put in front of me. Nobody forced me to eat donuts all the time nobody forced me to do all those things that i was doing it was me so most of the problems in my life even though i want to blame everybody i know this is america and we get to blame everybody else or sue everybody else for everything in the world but the issue is most of the problems we have in our life it's about me and i discovered one day i said you know i can't do anything about the past but i can do something about now and later so often in life what we do is we just make excuses about things and we say, you know, I can't do, you know, this is a problem I have in my life. The reason I am the way that I am is because, you know, I wasn't potty trained properly. 
Or, you know, I didn't have a really good seatbelt in my car and I had a brain trauma or something. I didn't have a seatbelt in my car. You know what my seatbelt was? You'd be going down the road and Dad would throw it in the Remember that? It's called his hand. You know, that was my seatbelt growing up. How many of you had that kind of seatbelt growing up? A bunch of you. Are all of you brain damaged? Hopefully not. You know, we can make excuses. Oh, it's a couple of you shaking your head. Yeah. Uh, no comment. Okay. Um, or, you know, this is because my family was dysfunctional. That's why I'm the way that I am. The, the reality is we can make all kinds of excuses in life, but it changes nothing in a real sense. You can be a victim or you can start doing something about now and later. Last week we began this series in uh, Job, and, but I shared with you that uh, if you, you have to really look at the whole book of Job. So, so often we just focus on one or two verses or just a small part, but I look at the whole book of Job. I discovered in the whole book of Job, if you look at it, if you look at chapter 42, verse 12, there's a key verse back there that if you look back at that and take everything back, what it does, it says, it said, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. And I shared with you that what we're going to look at in this series is how, what does that mean? What does it mean that God blessed the latter part of his life more than the former part? It means that the former part was blessed and the latter part was blessed, even all the junk in chapters 1 and 2. It's something we'd always consider as blessing. But what lessons can we learn? What big picture things can we learn from the book of Job? And I began to look at it this week, and one of the things that stood out to me the first key we, we talked about last week was that the first key to a blessed life is not to give up on the God who has not given up on you. Don't give up on a God who has not given up. It is a constant theme throughout the book of Job. Through all the junk that he went through. He, yes, he questioned God and, he, and he, he wrestled with his friends about some of the stuff that was going on in life. And that's what, it's all right to do that. We talked about that last week. But through it all, through it all, he didn't give up on the God who had not given up on him. This week I want to talk about a second key to living a blessed life. And this is something you really have to... And, and the problem was for me with this, I saw it very clearly, but at the same time there wasn't a verse, just a verse or two in the book of Job that really focused on this. So I was thinking, how can I illustrate this principle? And actually what I'm going to do today is go into the New Testament to a parable that Jesus taught that illustrates the second principle very well. And the second key to a blessed life is this. God did not create you to make excuses. He has called you to make a difference. God did not create you to make excuses. He has called you to make a difference. And because of that, when we look at Job, it's very clear in his life that Job, even though he was going through a lot of tough stuff in his life, and he struggled with the tough stuff, at the end of the day, he didn't allow excuses or his past to control his present and his future down the road, especially when he gets to the end of the book of Job in chapters 38 through 42. So that's why I encourage you to read the whole book of Job, not just two or three little passages here or there. So during the next week, if you haven't read it already, continue to read Job. I read the whole thing last night in about an hour and a half, the whole book. And I was reading it slowly, try to, try to once again, think about it. So that's, that's the thing. Now, the principle, the parable that best illustrates this principle that God did not make you to create you to make excuses that I see in Job's life He's called you to make a difference. It's best illustrated, I think, by a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. So if you have your Matthew 25 today, I mean, you can take Job 42 and bookmark it, but turn to Matthew 25, and I will look at a parable that Jesus taught and take some principles out of that that will help us to understand the, uh, and I think illustrate in a really 
practical way, some of the things that was going on and one of the keys to this blessing or this key to blessing in, in your life as well. In Matthew verse 20, uh, chapter 25, verse 14, it begins this, this, this parable and it says this, For it's like a man going on a journey, and he called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Let's stop here. Let me ask a question. Did God bless everyone in this story in the same way? The same amount? It's not a hard question. No. And our first response is, that's not fair. That's not fair, right? Maybe on your way here today, you, your kids in the back seat were going, that's not fair. Because they were having some kind of problem. Some of you are laughing because you knew it happened on the way here. It happens all the time. Well, let me explain something. Let me give you a definition of fair. A fair is a place where you ride rides. Okay? So if your kids... We do not want God to be fair. If God was fair, all of us would end up in hell. Because what we deserve is separation from God, Right? So, you know, it's not fair. That's not the point of the story, though. We'll be looking at that in just a moment. Okay, verse 16. Immediately the man who had received five talents went and he put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man who with, who, with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master... You gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more. He took and doubled what he did. Uh, verse 21. His master said to him, now let me ask before we look at this, is punctuation important in, in sentences? Yes, it is. It usually says something about it. Look what it says. Then the ma uh, It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. Exclamation point. Chest bump. Way to go. The master's excited, right? He's, ex he's excited about that. You've been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Verse 22. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. Exclamation point. Chest bump. High five, okay? You did exactly what I wanted you to do. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent also approached the master and said, I know, master, I know you. You're a difficult man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you, you have what is yours. Sometimes this is the guy we have a problem with. Because we're going, well, he didn't lose anything. But once again, we see an exclamation point in just a minute here from that. And the thing is, is the man, what is he? Is he what is he? This man is, is up to this point, it said anywhere that the, that the master was hard, that the master, he gave everybody something, okay? But this guy, what he is, he's an excuse maker. 
He's an excuse maker. He's just going like, well, it's the reason I didn't do anything because of this, this, and this. You know, I wasn't putty trained well. I don't know if that's what he said, but the thing is, is he's an excuse maker. Verse 26, then the master replied to him, you evil, lazy slave, exclamation point. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. The master points out his real problem. Beyond all the excuses he makes, the problem is this. He's lazy, and he doesn't do anything with what God, what the master has given him. Then verse 28, this is what the master does. He said, so... Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he, who ha- uh, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even th- what he will, has will be taken away from him. Three points that I see clearly here that I saw expressed in Job. It's clearly expressed here in this passage. Number one, last week we talked about that, that when we go, that life is hard. And that even though when life gets hard, God is still God. That God's character is not dependent upon your circumstances. God is still God, but we also said God is good. And that's the first point today. God is good. The first point is this, is God is good. If you focus on Job 1 and 2, you will not believe this. If you only read those two chapters, you will not believe that God is good because of all the stuff that happens to Job. But if you look at the whole passage, chapters 1 through 42... You will begin to believe this because we see throughout this passage that God... God is still good. And, and as we look at this parable, I want to kind of bring it into context in our day and age today. Uh, it's kind of like this. This afternoon, imagine you're at your house. You're chilling out. I don't know what you do on Sunday afternoons. My, my Sunday afternoon, uh, after I've been here since 6 a.m. this morning studying, getting ready for service, doing 9 o'clock service, doing the whatever service, 1045 service. I'm trying to remember what time it was when I came here. Uh, 1045 service. By the time I get home, I'm tired. And so my Sunday afternoon is chilling out. My wife says that golf must be the most boring sport in the world because usually on Sunday afternoons I watch golf and I actually sleep through most of the golf. Okay. It just happens to be that Sunday afternoons I'm just emotionally and, and mentally tired and so I, I chill out. And so I'm, I'm home this afternoon or maybe you're home this afternoon and you get a knock on the door. And you're going, ah. That's probably your first inclination. Ah. And you go to the door. You go to the door, and there's this guy at the door, this well-dressed guy at the door with a suit on, and he has a briefcase, and you're going, who are you? And he looks at you, and he says, I have brought you something. And he opens the case up, and it's just full of money. And he goes, in this briefcase is $1.45 million. And you're going, what? He said, this is yours. What would be your first response? Go away! No, you would never say that. No. You'd go, what's the catch, right? What's the catch? What's the catch? And he looks at you and he says this. The catch is this. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. And you're going, Pastor, that's kind of a random number, $1.45 million. Well, in studying this passage, I want to bring it into context. Remember there was one talent, two talent, five talent guys 
In that context, in the, a Roman talent in that day and age, and this is just one of multiple ways of discovering this, is, is an amount of money. And, it, and to best bring it into today's context, a Roman talent was worth 71 pounds of gold. And if I look at today's current market value, which I looked at this past week, of, a, of gold, gold was around $1,200 and anywhere between $75 and $90 an ounce. For those of you who are engineers, I know you're doing it in your head right now. So get over yourself. Um, you know, it's times 16 times 71. That's kind of in the 1.45 when I figured it out earlier this week. So somewhere in that ballpark, okay? That's the one talent guy. See, it wasn't just a small, okay, so the two talent was twice that much, the five talent was five times that much. It was a huge amount. It wasn't just this little piddly thing that he gave him. He gave every person. God is good. He has given every one of us resources. He has invested in our lives. And the thing I know is this. If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because you're so good. You're a Christian because God is so good. Because he's done for you. He's paid the price for you. What you could not do for yourself or myself, he's paid a price and being a Christian does not simply allow you to go to heaven when you die. That's just a benefit. What it allows you also is the opportunity to live a meaningful life while you're here upon this earth. That's what God has created us to be. Not just to go to heaven, but to live a meaningful life while we're here on this earth. God has invested in you. He has a purpose for your life. He does. And so often the question for many of us who are believers, we simply say, well, what's that purpose? How do I know what purpose is God has for my life? Let me give you three words today that will help you to understand what your purpose is. And I encourage you, I chastise you to take these three words and to pray over them this week because at the end of the week, if you do that, you begin to focus on these three words and their meaning for your life, you'll begin to understand where it is that God wants you to use what he has given you what he's invested in you in your life. The first word is misery. Misery. What do you look at, like, look at in the world that makes you say this? That should not be happening. Now, I'm not talking about pet peeves, okay? All of us got pet peeves. My pet peeve is guys that wear skinny jeans, okay? Can I have an amen? Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know about you. I was watching uh, some kind of award show the other night, and there's all these guys walk out on a stage, and they have these jeans that look like they're poured into it, and they're walking like this. You know? They can't bend their legs because the jeans are so tight. I'm not talking about, you know, skinny jeans. If you're here wearing skinny jeans this morning, I'm sorry. We should take your man card away. Really? I know it's cool. But it just doesn't look good. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about, I'm not going to start a website, you know, or campaign, no skinny jeans on guys, okay? I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about misery. I'm talking about what bothers you so much that it makes you miserable, that you look at it and you're going like it breaks your heart and it breaks the heart of God. I love what Craig Rochelle, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, he's at Life Church. I, I love what he has to say. He says, when you discover your misery, you will discover your ministry. When you discover your misery, then you will discover your ministry. What is it that, when you look at it, that breaks the heart of God, it also breaks your heart? 
I remember about two or three years ago, I was at the Leadership Summit, which is a, an event about from leadership, obviously. And, and one of the speakers was this young lady from Australia. Her name was Christine Kane. And Christine Kane was talking about when she was going through the airport in Europe, and she saw these pictures. I don't know which airport it was, but she saw these pictures on the wall in the airport. And there were pictures of young girls. And it said, missing girls, and had pictures. And she began to ask the question, how are they missing? And she come to, came to understand that most of these girls had probably been sold into the sex slave trade in Eastern Europe. And her heart was broken by that. And I think that breaks the heart of God too. And, and she began to ask the question, what can I do about this? What can I do about this? And so she and her husband have begun an organization called the A21 Campaign, which is an anti-human trafficking organization with the ambition of abolishing uh, human slavery in the 21st century. I mean, when God breaks your heart about something, you need to do something about it. For me, personally, my misery, and I discovered this many, many years ago, as I realize, as I look at the population in America, as it increases, church attendance is decreasing. It is. Drastically. The latest survey says that about 20% of people in America go to church on any given Sunday. Not just evangelical, but Catholic, evangelical, everything. Only 20%. And I believe, as I read the book of Acts, as I look at what the church is supposed to be, that the church is the hope of the world. That God has placed us here for a purpose. We are the Christ hands and feet in the world. So I also understand this, that new churches reach a lot more people than existing churches that have been around for over 20 years. And so my passion when I came here to Great Oaks uh, 11 years ago, this was a new church plant then, just a few, four, three, four, five years old at that point. But I realized this, we get to a point where we were kind of plateaued for a while, and I'm saying we need to rebump and, and realize that we have the call to, to reach others. So right now, one of the things that I've been doing in the last year and a half or so is doing a lot of research and a lot of, a lot of th- thinking about how can we, as a church here, plant other churches in this region. And so I've had conversations recently with a, with a group about helping us to network with other churches and form a, a church planting network in this region where we can plant other churches in places in our communities and around our world that will reach more people for Christ because that's what the church is called to be and to do. See, the problem is in the church world today, church people have been taught, get a burden, talk to the pastor, walk away. Get a burden, talk to the pastor, walk away. Listen, your burden will probably never be my burden because God has made us all different. Now, some of you might have the same burden I have, and I think as as leadership from the church standpoint that we can get on board with certain things, but the reason God has given you that burden is because he wants you to do something about it. He wants you to do something about it. I get focused on my burden, you get focused on your burden, and together we can make a difference in this world for God. And I will tell you this, and your life will be blessed. What's your misery? Number two, what's your motivation? What's your motivation? What do you do well? 
If you want to know what God's purpose is for your life, not only your misery, but your motivation. So often we have a strange idea that in a Christian world, what happens is if we become a Christian, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, uh, if you follow Christ, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. You know, life is great. All of a sudden you follow Christ. You can't do anything anymore. You can't dance. You can't sing. You can't shoot, uh, you know, Ralph the Mouth things. Whatever Dan was doing with that, I don't know. Uh, you can't do anything to have fun anymore. And then what you do, uh, you, you die and it gets all better. That's kind of our idea. No. That's not the way, that, that's not the way Job lived. Yeah, Job went through tough times. But I know what it says in chapter 42. In chapter 42, it says that the second half of his life was more blessed than the first. And he says even though he went through all the junk of life, he still, because he did not focus on, he didn't make excuses, he made a difference in the world. The thing was is that his life was blessed. So what's your motivation? You know, in this parable, it says, Jesus says in chapter 25, verse 21, it says, come, Jesus says after he, these guys go and share and, and use their, their talents and, and, and multiply, he says, come and what? Share my joy. Come and share my joy. The Christian life will be the most joyous thing that you can possibly do if you will get on board with God's plan for your life. It's not going to happen just showing up on church on Sunday and the rest of the week nothing else happens with God. That's just another activity. But it's asking the question, what's my misery? What's the thing that God has placed upon my heart that's a passion that I need to do something about? And number two, what is my motivation? What are the things that I need to be? What has God made me good at? What do, what do I love to do? You know, some of us are good at some things, some are good at another. I learned, I, I, I bless their hearts, I'm, I know they're frustrated with me, but uh, when we started the community garden up here, you know, some of these guys love plants. I mean, they love gardening. You know, they love it. You know, getting in the dirt. They don't want me up there. They really don't. I will kill it. I will kill it. I tried to plant a couple of plants last year. Man, uh, they were horrible. I think we had two tomatoes. We had four tomato plants and two tomatoes. I will kill it. It's not my passion. That's all right. If it's their passion, great. I mean, there's some people in the church here that are techno people, and they just love technology, technology, technology. We're parking protectors now. No, not, I mean, they do all kinds of things. You know, they love it. It's all they can talk about. But the issue is, is that everybody has a passion for something, and God has made you good at it. You know what the word enthusiasm, the roots of the word enthusiasm are? There's two words it comes from. En means in, and theos, in God, in God. Joy and enthusiasm come from God. See, when you're in Christ and in, and in God, you will be enthusiastic and, and find joy in life. That's what it says. So what's your motivation? The third thing is realization. Realization. This is something that's popped into my mind this past week, and I'm going, wow, realization. How many people in this parable, how many people... Did the master call and bless with talents? The answer is not Jesus, by the way. Okay, I know we are in church. How many people, how many people did the master call and bless with talents? Three, thank you. I knew it was a really hard answer, but... Whew, okay, we got that one out. Three, three. Let me ask you a question. In the parable, do we know anything about their past? 
Not one thing. The past didn't seem to matter in this parable. There's no information about it. All we know is what the master blessed them with and what their life was like later. What they did with it then, now, and what happened later. See, the master was not obsessed with their past. He was focused on now. For two out of three of them, it led to a much better later, right? It did. I will tell you this. The realization is this. So many people tell me that God couldn't possibly use them because of their past. I've heard that so many times. And they disqualify themselves because of their past. They're going like, well, you know, I've been divorced. I couldn't possibly, God couldn't use me. Or I've been, you know, I've been this or I've been that. Or I've had this problem in my life and God couldn't possibly use me. They talk about all the past. See, in this key, the key in the story in Matthew, the past is never brought up. And I can guarantee you that if we looked in the past of these three guys, all three would have problems, right? How do I know that? They're human. They're human. But see, once they met the master, their past mattered no more. All that mattered was now and later. Now and later. See, once you meet the master, Jesus... The past is paid for. You are a new creation is what the Bible says. The old is gone. The new has come. You know, people might have given, given up on you. They can. People will give up on you because of your past. But God never does. As long as you're breathing, God still has purpose for your life. Somebody asked me one time, how do, how do I know when God has given up on me? Here's the answer. When they shovel dirt over your grave. That's when God has given up on you. I mean, he can't do anything else with you at that point. But not until you're finished is God finished with you. For some of you, the, the message today is this. If you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. If you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. See, Job struggled with the past for a season. Yeah, sorry. I mean, you could struggle with it for a season. But one of the reasons he was blessed more in the second part of his life was because he got past his past. You can't do a thing about then. You can do something about now and later. So ask those three questions if you want to discover your purpose. Use those three words. Now, the second big thing, and this is much shorter than the last one, is this. Time is limited. Another thing that helps us to understand this principle that, that you know, we need to not just uh, make excuses but uh, got, live our life for purpose, don't waste our life, is the, fa the fact that time is limited. How many of you have had, ever had this thought? Be honest. We're in church. Okay? I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Okay, if you're under... Some of you, yeah, come on, you're not that old, come on. You know, 14-year-olds should not raise their hand. <laughs> you know why I use this iPad to teach from, besides it being cool? Because I can change the font on it. When I first started using this a couple of years ago, I had it on 16 font, now I have it on 18. You're going, What? Yeah, pretty soon I only have three words to a page. 
Literally. <laughs> I'm serious. Any of you ever made fun of the, you go to the gym and work out and you make fun of the people on the treadmills who walk? They just walk. They never do anything faster than that. They just walk. You're going, why are they at the gym? You know what I did yesterday? I didn't get on a treadmill. I went out in the neighborhood, and sometimes I run. I do interval training sometimes. But yesterday, my legs were killing me. I didn't know why. That's what happens when you get old. You you have all these aches and pains. You don't know where they came from. And so I went out, and I walked in the neighborhood. I did it fairly fast, but I walked. And something else that just, oh, drives me crazy. AARP keeps sending me stuff. I mean, constantly, every two weeks, I get an AARP, you know, letter, and I'm going like, leave me alone. Used to be 65 was considered a senior adult. Then it was 60, then it was 55, then it's 50. Pretty soon, Justin Bieber will get one. (laughs) See, the, the thing is that Job understood time is limited. Time is limited. How much, I don't care how much you work out, how many Zumba classes you go to, how much Pilates you do, if you eat all the organic food in the world, your time is limited. Your time is limited. Job understood this, and I think one of the reasons he understood that the second part of his life was blessed because he understood he'd only had so much time, and he didn't want to waste his time. He didn't want to waste his life. He says this throughout as he's struggling with his friends, friends, uh, in chapters 3 through 38, constantly he's saying things like in Job 7, 7, he says, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. It's just a breath. talked about this back when we talked about uh, your Dead Now What series a few weeks ago. In Job 8, 8, 8 through 9, it says this, Ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. Our days on earth are but a shadow. Have you ever had a dream? A dream, and it was so real that when you woke up, it's still like, oh, did it really happen? I had this really weird dream. I think it was because I was looking at Facebook, and two of my friends from college that, that stayed in the house that I used to live in, I, I lived in this, this house, this kind of junky house across the street from alumni dorm uh, in, uh, in, in Jefferson City, Tennessee at Carson Newman College. And um, it was like I had this dream, and all the guys were there, all seven of them that lived in the house with me. All you can imagine, seven guys just seven guys in a house in college. It was the biggest junk pile you've ever seen. Uh, but anyway, uh, but anyway, we, we, I had this dream about it, and I woke up and I go like, wow, that was really real. And then I realized that was 34 years ago. 34 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Time is short. A couple other verses in Job talks about these. He says in Job 10, 20, are not, my, uh, are not my few days almost over? And Job is going to live a lot longer after this, but he says, are not my... He realized time, time is short. Time is, we don't have all the time in the world. Time is limited. And then he says this in Job 24, verse 22. He says, but God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. We don't know how long it's going to be. He may let them rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are on their ways. Then he says this, for a little while they're exalted, and then they're gone. I thought about, hey, you know, for a little while people are exalted. Steve Jobs. For a little while he's exalted as like the guru of tech, you know. I love Apple stuff. Got an iPad, iPhone. I don't think I have anything else. I, I don't know. But, you know, but I love it. But the reality is this. The reality is this. 
Apple, as good of a company as it is, it is high, right now at the peak of, of, of what they've been doing, or at least close to it, in 150 years, there probably is not going to be an Apple. Probably not. I can't say this out loud, but you know, cat? There may not be a cat in 200 years. It's hard to believe, I know. But the reality is, the reality is, we need to be wary about pursuing things in life that have no eternal significance, that are just here for a period of time, even if it's a long period of time, and then gone. It's kind of like this. Um, it's summertime. Y'all figured it out, right? Didn't teach you anything new. But, you know, one of the cool things in the summertime, even when I was a kid, I remember, we were out playing in the yard, and we heard these bells and these noises and these songs, and you know, all kind of songs going on. And, and it was going around our neighborhood going, what is that? And we always knew what it is. What was it? Ice cream truck. You guys know this. I mean, you guys are tuned in. Okay, ice cream truck. And if you go around the neighborhood, and you're, it's a hot day, and, 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 and what do you do when you're a kid and you hear an ice cream truck? You run to the truck. Or you go run to your parents and say, give me some money for the truck. And you just go crazy. And you go, and you go, and what do you do when you get to the truck? When you finally catch the truck, he's kind of going along the street. You pursue the truck. You get an ice cream. What does it do? It gives you some temporary satisfaction, right? And then what do you do? The next day, you trace, chase the truck again, you get some temporary satisfaction. Next day, you trace the truck again, you get some temporary satisfaction. I believe that as a society... We are pursuing ice cream trucks. We're pursuing things that don't really give us lasting satisfaction, that really don't matter that much in life. Let me ask you guys, I mean, are you pursuing are your relationship with God, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids as much as you are fantasy football? Or sports? Or cruising the internet or doing whatever you're doing? Someday, someday, we will have an accounting for what we've done, the Bible says. It says even in this parable in verse 19, it says, After a long time, after all this stuff had happened, the master of those servants returned and they set and settled accounts with him. I believe this is true. The Bible teaches us, I believe very clearly, that every one of us will stand in front of God one day and accounts will be settled. And there will be two questions that will be asked. Number one question is this, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ, is the first one. And if you answer that in the positive, saying, I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there'll be a second question. What did you do with what I blessed you with? What did you do with what I blessed you with? And God doesn't want us to live life in such a way that we become a victim because in Christ we move from victim to victory last point very short my life matters my life matters in Psalm 139 which is a very favorite passage one of my favorite passages it talks about how we're all wonderfully and fearfully made that God has designed us custom made in a real sense we're designed on purpose with a purpose for a purpose now, I talked about one of my pet peeves of skinny jeans earlier, right? I have a couple others, by the way. I'm sure you do, too. One of my pet peeves is slow internet. Any of y'all have that pet peeve? Um, how, have any of you had to experience dial-up internet recently? 
Maybe, hope not. I, two years ago, the last time I think I did this, two summers ago, we, we were at my, at my, my in-laws in Florida. They still had dial-up. Oh, my gosh. I thought I was going to die before. I mean, I just tried to get an email. You know, you, you just try to send an email on that. You know, hear all those noises, you know, all the stuff that goes on. And finally it comes through. And if they make an attachment of a picture, somebody sends you a picture of a three-year-old, they're 12 before it downloads. <laughs> Literally, you know, I mean, it is horrible. It is horrible. So that's one of my pet peeves. Uh, the funny thing is we all had to dial up at one time. And we dealt with it. <laughs> we thought it was cool. How that times change. Uh, another is that yesterday I was at, or a couple days ago I was at Walmart. Maybe yesterday, I can't remember. I lose track of time because of getting old. And I was in Walmart, and I was in line, and I got, and it's supposed to be 10 items or less, or 20 items or less, whatever it is, that one of those things. And there was this lady in front of me. She only had like six items. I'm going, no problem, no cool. And she gets up there, and she's already getting things checked out. And what does she do? Oh, I forgot something. Half her stuff's already been scanned. So what does she do? She just leaves all of us standing there and runs through the store. I'm going, how rude. Get your stuff and go home. Yeah, I know that's a problem, but just deal with it. I don't know. I, it's the way I am. This pet peeve. God, you know, God had a pet peeve in this, uh, in this parable. What was God's pet peeve? What was God's pet peeve in this parable? What was his pet peeve? What was the thing that bothered the master? Thank you. Not taking advantage of the gifts. The guy who wasted his life. The guy who wasted his life. See, Jesus' pet peeve is this. He says, don't waste your life. I've redeemed you. I have saved you. I've blessed you. I have called you. I have equipped you. I've invested in you. It's so often that what we do is we make excuses. We make excuses and say, well, you know, all this stuff happened. God says, when you trust in me, that's all past. It's all past. It's not who you were that matters. It's who you are. So what are you going to do? Are you going to make excuses for your life? Are you going to simply go through life and not use what God has given you? Refuse to make excuses. Live to make a difference. Don't waste your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love, your goodness. We pray that you would just enable us this morning, God, to realize that you have given each one, you've created each one of us with a purpose. Not just to trust in you so we can get to heaven. It, that's a benefit. But you've called us, God, if we really want to live a blessed life. It doesn't mean it's going to be a life that's perfect. Is the example in the book of Job is it's a life that's sometimes very difficult because life is hard. But in spite of that, God, you're still God and you're still good. And you've given all of us 
You've invested in all of us so many things, God. And we just have to look at our misery, the thing that, that really we look at in the world. And all of us have something that really causes us to say, that that needs to change. We have to look at our motivation, the, the things that, that we really are good at and things that you have given us, God, to, to use. And if we place those together, God, we begin to realize that you've called us all, God, in a sense, to use that. And the reason, one of the reasons that Job could live a life that was blessed later in life, even though he went through all the difficulties, is because he didn't make excuses for his past. He, he lived there a while, God. He struggled with that a while, but he got past it. And because of that, God, he was able to be blessed even more in the second half of his life. Maybe because he'd gone through all these circumstances, all these things. God, just guide us now. Help us to truly trust in you. That we understand that we can live life fully. That we can make a difference in this world. In some small and large ways. If we'll just use what you've given to us. Help us not to waste our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.